Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The Natural Hat Trick. Hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. Welcome into episode 273 of the Natural Hatrick Podcast alongside Craig Morgan. And Natty Hattie. And Steve Peters. Oh, hold on. I didn't know I had to have an intro, like a little catchphrase. <laughs> Nobody warned me. No, that's that's it. That's the whole podcast, actually. All I'm right. Luke Lipinski. That was it. Yeah, it was just a 30-second thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, this is fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, 23-year Coyotes video coach, Steve Peters. So instantly the most qualified person on this podcast that we've ever had by far. Yep. Yes. 23 years in the NHL, and now I'm on Craig Morgan's podcast. I finally arrived. It's huge. I mean, you oh. join such prestige. Well, I guess, I mean, Radim Verbata's been on here, Martin Hansel. Um, Connor Garland was on this year. Wow. Okay. So you're in the upper echelon. Look at that. <laughs> Gee, how you well, been, man? I'm doing really well, actually. You know, I mean, I'm trying to stay busy. I'm trying to stay relevant in the world of hockey, and I love talking Coyotes and NHL. And you know, I'm looking out. It was hopefully a sunshiny day in Arizona. A little clouds today, but I'm in Arizona talking hockey, so things couldn't be much better. Yeah, you've uh, you've come to the right place. Let's. Um, I'll first remind everybody to rate and review the show if you would like. Actually, even if you wouldn't like, just do it. And then uh, you can certainly follow us at the Natty Hattie on Twitter. Um, we'll begin, we'll go big picture. We'll just go with the league in general, kind of a, well, a very unique event. Tim Peel with his comments that were caught on the hot mic in the Detroit Nashville game a couple of days ago. And the next morning he's, he's just gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, he, he said the thing out loud that you, you don't say out loud <laughs> and it, it, you know, I, I, I have so many thoughts on this and I obviously want to hear what you guys have to say on this too, but. I think there's this perception that this is how everybody officiates the game anyway, that there are makeup calls, that that's not always equitable and it's not always called the way it should be called. So my first thought when I heard that, and obviously the league did what it had to do. You can't have a referee come out and say that and then keep, maintain the integrity of the game by keeping him. And he was going to retire in a couple months anyway, so maybe it's not that big a deal, but... When you hear that out loud, what does this do for the perception of NHL officiating now? And I'll let you talk first, Steve, because you've you've been in this situation obviously far more than we have. Yeah, you know it, it's it's unfortunate for Tim. I mean, he's a, he's a veteran official that I think amongst the coaches and players, he's pretty well respected. I mean, he's a confident guy for sure. But to hear him say it out loud, geez, I'll say the specific incident. I don't know the context, who he was talking to. I, I don't want to get into the specifics of his comment, but in the generalities, 
I think it's if you're in a coach's room in the NHL and you come in after the third period, first period, and you've had three power plays, you tell your team, hey, we've had three power plays. The next one's getting called on us. It's just how you approach the game. Keep your sticks down because we're getting the next call. Now, whether that's bias or, or, or not, or if you're makeup calls or managing the game, it's it's widely known through the league. That's how the league operates. However, you can't say it out loud. You know, in these guys are human. They make mistakes. This game is incredibly fast. Like these players, they're 19, 20 years old, skating 100 miles an hour. They have difficulties keeping up, so they do make mistakes. Having said that, if you do make a mistake that leads to a goal, whether it's subconscious or conscious, you're, you're thinking, geez, I blew that one. Do I make a call the other way? I think it happens. Um, one thing this year that's letting them off the hook is the lack of fans. I think they're not getting that, you know, you get a boo and then, and you see the arm go up. You don't get that this year. So I think you're, you're losing that, that third party influence on the referees. Um, I think the league did what they had to do. It's unfortunate. I hope they blow past it quickly because I don't think it's a real problem right now. I, I think as playoffs approach, I think referees call less penalties because they don't want to get involved and coaches and players alike as long as they're consistent whatever call they make in the first is the same call they make in the third coaches and players can live with that they're just looking for that standard to go throughout a particular game or particular series so i I hope this is just a blip on the radar for tim i I feel bad that this is how he ends his career um, but i hope the league moves past it quickly is it one of those things like it, it is strange when you see a game and one team has six power plays and the other team has one, like we are all kind of just sort of conditioned for the power plays to be pretty even like five, three, maybe, but not, not any more distinct than that, unless it's just a complete bloodbath and one team is instigating it. I mean, as, as coaches and, and certainly being around the players, is there that like level of frustration when it is, when the power plays are really lopsided because there's sort of understanding that games are going to generally be even out. Well, absolutely. And it's something you look at at the score sheet at the end of the night. You know, it frustrates coaches definitely and players who have to play in the middle of that for sure. Um, you know, cause they're, they're looking and you don't want to call them makeup calls, but that's what they are. You want to see that level of consistency. Now there are nights when you're playing a team that, you know, has taken a bad penalty earlier. There's fisticuffs or there's anger or, or, you know, the, the emotions get high where one team can take, you know, multitude of penalties with, without having the other team retaliate or, or create those opportunities on the power play. Um, but, but I think if you take all the NHL games over time, you're going to find there's a level of consistency on the number of power plays the team gets. A team gets. I think that's just the way the league operates. I like consistency. I do think that things should be called both ways. For instance, if you see a, you know, if, if a guy's going to call a ticky tack foul or or a penalty one way, they should call it both ways. And I think all coaches and players will agree on that. But my question is, should the game be called to the level that you're talking about? For instance, I'll give you an example of, from the Coyotes. When Colorado is dominating possession and play, should it really be equitable in terms of power plays, or is the game going to dictate that Colorado is going to have a sizable advantage in power plays, and should it be okay to simply call the game that way because that's what the game is dictating? Well, of course it's okay, and that's how we all want it. And again, from the coaching perspective, when you're – 
possessing the puck in the offensive zone and you have more puck touches and you have the puck more often, you will draw more penalties. And that's another coaching tactic when a coach goes in between periods and we're not getting power plays. He will tell the team, hey, we, if we want penalties, we need to have the puck more. If you're not going to have the puck, we're not going to get those calls. So I, I think that absolutely it's still a coaching tool. And everybody in the league is going to tell you, if there's a penalty, call it. If there's not, don't. And if in the case of Colorado, they possess the puck and they, they dominate in the offensive zone, they should, in theory, have more power plays. Um, and, I, and I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with that. You just, like you said, just the consistency. If you're going to call it, call it. If you're not going to call it, don't call it for either team. And I think the players, honestly, they don't mind playing hockey. In the playoffs, you see the referees' whistles go away a little more often. Players don't mind that. They know what the parameters are. And, you know, as long as people aren't getting injured, okay, I can get away with a little more here. I think players prefer to play and leave it in their hands versus the officials. Okay. And, yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that as well. I'm glad you brought that up because when Rick Tockett on his Zoom call today talked about flow of the game mattering and how the game should be called as well. Like you said, in, in overtime, for instance, or in the playoffs, things may be a little more lenient. I don't know. I, I, there, there are some people who just don't get that at all. Like, if it's a penalty, call it regardless. Why, why does the rule book change because of the circumstance of the game? So maybe you can help us understand that. A yeah, little. you know that's, that's that's tough. And and you look at at those two instances specifically, overtime and the playoffs. I said it to start the, start the segment. Referees do not want to be the the story. They don't want to be involved in the outcome of the game. They don't want to be the story when it's over. So unless, and, and, and I've been in the coach's room in those playoff games or those deciding games toward the end of a season, and you know, unless they're giving up a scoring chance or an odd man rush against, those are calls you probably are not going to get. Whether it's right or wrong, I I think that's the way the league is. If you're giving up a scoring chance in overtime, they're going to make the call. Late in the game, if you're, you're going to have a, a two-on-one because this guy hooked a guy, they're probably going to make the call. But if it's in the neutral zone and it doesn't have any effect uh, on the play, they might let it go. Right or wrong, that's just what I think. Um, you know, I think you, you ask the coaches, the 31 coaches in the league right now, they're going to say the right thing by the league, let the league handle it. This isn't a problem. Um, it exists. It's out there. It's real. I don't know how you get a, away from it. Um, and I, it's a culture that's been around since I've been in the league. That's just the expectations. The only changes happened in the league when rule changes happened. You know, when they took away the out of those stick fouls in the early 2000s, Good grief. The number of penalties and power plays those first few weeks was was ridiculous. But again, it just took the players evolving their game and changing how they played to change how the game was called. All right. I have to ask you about the penalty I hate the most then, because I hear what you're saying. It's it, Hockey's been this way my whole life where, OK, you get to overtime, uh, certainly in a playoff game. It's game seven, third period tie game. They're going to put the whistles away a little bit. But then you have those, you have certain penalties that are non-negotiable. And the one I hate the most is the puck over the glass puck penalty glass. for delay a game. I mean, yeah. you could, you could feasibly cross check somebody in the face. And if it's the end of the third period of game seven, they're not going to maybe look the other way. But if you accidentally play the puck over the glass, it's two minutes. Yeah. It, that, that's a really tough one. And, and we saw it, it affected the, the Vegas Golden Knights last season in the playoffs. You know, uh, the defenseman White Cloud puts it over the glass to lose the game. Uh, I understand why the league took the judgment out of that call um, to not put it in the referee's hand to decide if a guy did it on purpose. But if you can remember before that rule was in play, that was a defenseman's way out. If I'm in trouble, throw it over the glass. 
it slowed the flow of the game. It was a bad play. Um, they wanted to take it out. So I get the reason why, but I agree with you. There's, there should be a little more common ground on that one that, you know, geez, you look at all, oh, did it go over the penalty box? Did it go over the player's bench? Is it really over the glass? Did it tick the glass? You know, if he's intentionally trying to get a break, it's penalty. And I think we could all agree on that, but there's so many instances. Well, did it touch the stick? Did it not touch the stick? I would love to see that one go back to a, a judgmental call um, by the referee. And I just don't think that's going to happen. Last question I want to ask you guys on this uh, regarding penalties. Um, I, I am, I'm fascinated by the impact of technology as we can continue to evolve. Uh, I have wondered, I had this talk actually with Redeem Verbata yesterday about what we should do with technology moving forward. Should there be a sort of eye in the sky for the officials who can see stuff that happens maybe behind the play? We know how crafty players are. They'll do stuff when the officials aren't looking. So there'll be a penalty that gets missed. Should the, should the uh, officiating crew have another set of eyes in the sky to see that sort of stuff and be able to radio it down to a headset? Or does that create a situation where it's just going to be one continuous power play with all the, all the stuff that happens in a game and, and also kill the flow of a game? You know, it's, it's interesting because I'd like to hear what a player's thoughts on that would be because it's, the coaches have it. The coaches have a TV monitor at their feet. They got a video guy behind the scenes. They got an eye in the sky up top. You know, if something had behind the play, I was on with coach talking immediately. Hey, that's a penalty behind the play. He'll talk to the referee at the whistle. He'll give it to him a little bit to, Hey, you're missing this. Keep your eye open for it in the future. Um, I, the game is so fast, Craig. If you want to make the right calls all the time and have it officiated properly, I think it's a natural progression. The the only other thing that's missing, Craig, and this is frustration, especially in the playoffs, is the accountability for the officials. Um, I know the coaching staff and players felt like, you know, guys consistently getting calls wrong or a linesman is consistently missing offsides. There's no accountability internally from the league. I mean, if there is, the, the teams don't see it. I mean, they may be internal one-on-one, but you know, the guys, is there any accountability? You know, that guy's got to sit out a game or, or he doesn't get the next game of playoffs. I think coaches and players would like to see that too. And we, you know, we always talk about the offside call that you see a goal scored on, but you should see the number of offsides they missed during a game. And you don't notice how it changes the flow of the game. And I can think of an example when I was down in the coach's room with the headset on and, we're on the power play with a great entry with a chance to, to get a shot on net and the whistle blows. So immediately Phil Housley's asking, is it off sides? And no, it's not, but you have no recourse. Yeah. You know, you just missed a two on one with two of your top skilled players on a power play, no recourse. And, and from the official standpoint, make the call, call it. We, I don't want to get embarrassed with a, with a coach's challenge. If it's close, I'm going to blow the whistle. So you'd like to see some sort of accountability or, or grading or report card for those officials. Players are held accountable. Coaches are held accountable. You know, managers are accountable to owners. Uh, you'd like to see the, some accountability for the officials as well. Yeah, I, I like that. I like both accountability and, and a little more transparency with the league's officiating. I, I'd like to know the process a little better. It's too secretive. Uh, they, they just keep it away from people, and I don't think that's right. Yeah, I, know, I think a lot of people would like to see that. I, I know we're rushed for time here, Luke, because uh, uh, you have a hot date apparently. So let's move on to the next of what I'm calling hot topics, which is – a, a new uh, uh, turn for the show here, uh, a, a new format. Wait, hold on. Uh, Before we get to that, yeah, are you going to explain whatever goblet you're drinking out of right now on the podcast? <laughs> yeah. 
this this is a uh, cortado that my wife just made me and delivered while we're sitting here. Oh, wow, that's fancy. Steve, uh, you got you got to no. know about this podcast. A lot of times, Craig will bring like a fancy drink or a coffee, but he'll never bring them for his co-host. So that's just yeah. the, the sort of guy yeah. he is. Well, you mean on on, on the Zoom calls? Um, yes, on the Zoom calls. Yeah, I've got my bottle of water here. If I would have known, it was I fancy would drink like night. to check the ledger of money spent on coffees and and donuts though, over the course of this podcast. So I'm surprised you can still afford a home after how much coffee and donuts you bought wow. us like, the first 250 episodes. If there are coffee and donuts, sign me up for the next one. Absolutely. Yeah, see, absolutely. Back in the studio or into his closet as it is right now. See, I didn't know all this stuff. See, I'm learning. It's a nice closet. Yeah. No, there's, it's a very deep and complex show. <laughs> I'm sure you'll find <laughs> out. Um, all right. Let's go a little bit more around the league on the ice. And the, the, I guess just give me your teams that you think are legitimate Stanley Cup contenders here as we record on March 25th, because we just saw Colorado here in town. Obviously, I guess I'm giving you mine. Colorado, Tampa, Vegas, and I think Toronto, just because I think they have the clearest path to the final four, at least. But do you guys disagree with any of those, or would you add any additional ones? Uh, that, that's my top four, too. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Those, those would be my four teams in the top tier of cup contenders. Well, you know, it's interesting. And again, we go back to the COVID shortened season and the, and the division set up the way they are. People around the league, and I mean people in the league, players, coaches, they don't know what's going on around the league. It's really interesting. I talked to, talked to a lot of people today and I asked them, you know, for who, what do you think about this? They go, I don't know. I haven't seen them play all year. Haven't seen this team play all year. I don't know any of these players. It's, it's so unique. I think this is really difficult to handicap. The three of us have watched the West division the most. The two best teams in the West are Vegas and Colorado. I think Colorado's offensively dangerous. Um, if their goaltender Grubauer can stay healthy, that's a difficult team to beat. Vegas, they've got it rolling. Vegas is a team that when you watch them play, they're smiling, they're laughing on the bench, they're happy, they're together as a unit. Um, when their goaltending is healthy, they got a they got a tandem of Flurry and Laner. They're the winners in the West. Um, you look at the outside divisions, you know Tampa. They've been there before. They're deep. They can score a great goaltending, smother you defensively. Watched for Florida, though. I'll be having my sleeper in that division is Florida. Barkov's uh, probably the most underrated forward in the NHL. Unbelievably crafty. He is fast. He can score goals. That team is incredibly quick. Bobrovsky's playing lights out in net. That's my sleeper. Florida, and, and you go to the upper northeast, surprisingly, the Islanders. I, I know. That's the thing. Someone has to come out of that division. I know. It's always the Islanders. Yeah. So they're gonna, there's going to be someone from that division in the final four. It's, it's going to be the Islanders. I, I, I don't I think, think it is, actually. I want to believe that a team that is constructed like the Islanders can actually win a cup. The one thing you'll look at there, you know, the, the Anders Lee injury to them out for the season, he's a piece – that they're going to sorely miss that they need to replace at the trade deadline. They, uh, they're going to have to score by committee. So I worry about that a little bit, but their goaltending has been solid. They're deep. They're quick. Um, look for them to come out of, of the Northeast. And then in Canada, I know everybody likes Toronto and I am, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say not Toronto just Ooh. because it's Toronto. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with a sleeper. That's not even, I'm going Winnipeg. Uh, coming out of Canada. Um, they've got a Vesna, Vesna goaltender. They've got 
depth in scoring. They've got their middle ice is solid. Um, but watch out for the Jets coming down the stretch. They need to add a defenseman. And, we, you know, I have Winnipeg in my second tier of teams, along with the Islanders. Still think Boston has enough. Carolina, maybe Edmonton because of those two players. Sure. They have some serious weaknesses elsewhere. But if we're looking at the top teams in particular, Toronto, Colorado, you, you already mentioned Grubauer, and I think that's the biggest Achilles heel sure. for them. But with Vegas, Tampa, and Toronto, what do you guys consider the Achilles heels? I'll, I'll throw this out for Vegas. I don't like their center position enough. I don't think it's strong enough for them to win a cup. I think it's strong enough for them to make deep playoff runs, but I don't think that their center position is cup-worthy. Yeah, I mean, I think Petey kind of touched on it with Toronto. Like, until I see Toronto do it in the playoffs, there's there's certainly reason to doubt them. I, I think the reason that I'm so high on them now, like, I think Vegas is better than Toronto. I think Colorado is definitely better, and I think Tampa is better than all of them. But I do think if Toronto's able to kind of, I don't know who they might play in the – like, if Edmonton and Winnipeg played in the first round and maybe they caught Calgary or Montreal in the first round – and they are able to win that series and get a little momentum and then maybe win the second series. I think Toronto gets tougher the deeper they go simply because a lot of their issues seems to just be a mental thing. And they, they don't have to go through Boston this year. They don't have to go through Tampa even. Um, so if they get a little momentum, I think they could be dangerous. But at the end of the day, they, they still haven't done it. I mean, they still haven't won playoff series forever. So that, to me, is their biggest weakness is just playoff experience, good playoff experience. Right, and I think that's where you look at their goaltending too in Toronto. You've got, you know, Frederick Anderson's got a, hasn't had that playoff history of success that I think they're going to need. And we talk about goaltending in Colorado. Colorado needs to find a backup goaltender. We yeah. saw it here in Arizona that just their last game, the goals that they gave up. Go go uh, rabbit. Yeah, Johansson, he's got to have those. Yeah. And so I think I mean, that and injuries play. in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I, I don't understand what Colorado's doing, to be honest, because, yeah, in, as we've talked about, PD, cup windows are so short, you've got to have that piece solidified. And if, if Grubauer gets hurt at any point, I mean, it is, it's a massive drop off for them in goals to the point where there's no way they're winning a cup right. with the next guy in line. Yeah, and you talk about middle ice. You put Colorado against Vegas, middle ice, it's not close. I mean, Colorado dominates in the middle of the ice. The problem with Colorado that they ran into in the bubble last season was injuries. And once they started getting those top players hurt, they just didn't have anything coming up underneath to, to, to be able to, to roll three, even four lines. So I think goaltending and depth and staying out of, away from the injury bug is, is the only path for Colorado. But trade deadlines, what, three weeks away? I still think they picked up Johansson. They need a goalie, period. I mean, they need a goalie, and then they have to stay healthy. Yeah, I'm glad you went to that point. I mean, two and a half weeks, basically, till the NHL trade deadline, and I would say the most obvious glaring need is what we just talked about. Colorado, you would think, would be able to get a backup goalie at the trade deadline if they want to do it, but we've talked about this on the show, and Petey, you and I have talked about it too. You know, you're trading for guys this year. You're basically trading for them for four weeks of regular season hockey at most, and maybe not even that much. And in years past, it's always like, oh, it might take a guy two or three weeks to settle in before you know where he fits. I mean, this year that could put you in the first round of the playoffs before you even know what you've got. So are we going to see as many trades this year? You know, I think this is a strange year from beginning to end. 
I don't know what to expect. I thought you'd start seeing trades as early as this week. Uh, wasn't going to surprise me. There are teams that have to improve their club if they want to win the Stanley Cup. So there will be trades. Um, how many and to what extent? And are the Coyotes involved? I, I think those questions are yet to be answered. It's fascinating to me because everybody knows the uh, the obstacles at this point, although as we just talked about, it looks like, the, well, it's definite that the quarantine period in uh, Canada is only going to be one week now, and that helps versus 14 days. But there's also the, the reality of the flat cap where a lot of GMs, executives are saying it's a dollar in, dollar out market, which, which really puts a damper on trades unless you're talking about pure rentals. And then you also have the expansion draft to think about. It's, it's something that I thought about with Colorado, actually, because, I mean, I, in, a, in, in one sense, I could see or, or I would think it would make sense for Colorado to come after a guy like Darcy Kemper. But then you get to the expansion draft and you got to leave Grubauer or Kemper exposed. <laughs> and that's a, that's a dilemma, right? So I, I, I am curious to hear what, what or to see what happens in the end. But I had a, an interesting talk with Craig Button a couple days ago. And with all these excuses that are coming out, he labeled them just that. Those are excuses. He said, if I'm an owner and I'm hearing all that, I'm going to move on to the next guy. Your job as a manager is to find practical solutions in whatever environment you exist. If you can't do things to improve your club right now, you're not doing your job. Yeah, the guy is still there. Yeah, it said the guy who hasn't managed since two thousand three. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> no, and I and I that that that's a little harsh to say to Craig. The truth is, that job I don't know that job. Never been in that job. I don't understand the pressures involved in a regular season, more or less this season. Um, so when Craig says that he's been in the job, he sat in that chair, and he knows what he needs to do to improve a club. So I'm being a little flippant on that, and I, and I gotta watch what I say about people, but but. Having said that, those problems are real. And, and, and I was sitting thinking about this today, Craig. I, I'm in a race with my car. I'm in third place, and my tires are wearing thin. I can buy new tires, great top-of-the-line tires, but guess what? You can't get them for two weeks. I can't drive them for two weeks. So how much farther behind am I going to get in that two weeks if I can't get those tires? Or you can get the best tires, but guess what? You don't have the budget to get those tires because of the flat cap. Or I'll tell you this one, you go buy great tires and they keep you in the race. Unbelievable tires. And as soon as this race is over, we're going to take those tires away for you for nothing and send them to Seattle. So those are real problems that I know managers are thinking about right now. Like I, I can trade for a Darcy Kemper, like you said, but yeah, I have to win this year then because am I going to lose him or Grubauer? Is it worth it? Or do I ride this out? You know, the salary cap, that's money. That's real. If you don't have the room, you can't make those moves. Um, so I, I think even though they are obstacles and there will be, maybe you can't get the player you absolutely want in that deal. There will be deals, but they absolutely are hampered by those three variables. Yeah. PD, isn't it? It's different for each team too, right? Like it's tough to make a blanket statement and say, oh, this time of year, GM should do this or they shouldn't do this. Like you're under, it's become very clear this season that a lot of the teams in that North division with all the Canadian teams are under more pressure than maybe, I don't know, Carolina or maybe Carolina is not a good example, but just sort of like a fringe team in one of the other divisions. Whereas it really feels like in, in that, that North division, they're looking around saying, this is a great chance for us to make at least the final four. So we're all going all in. 
Yeah, I, I think that that's a great statement. And you're also looking at because you're playing so many games head to head against division rivals, every game's a four point game. You might think you're not out of this yet. And so, you know, and the Coyotes are a perfect example of that. Where are they? You know, they're, they're outside the playoffs right now, but. By Monday, they could be back in. So you, you've got to be really careful, and, and timing is going to be huge. And, and believe me, Colorado knows they need a goalie to win the Stanley Cup. Now, if Grubauer can play every single game every night, they feel they have a chance. Um, if they have to go to their backup, they're in trouble. So I still think they'll make a move there. Um, there will be trades, but not to the extent of we normally see in a normal year. I'm glad you brought up the Coyotes because we should move to them. And uh, a lot of people obviously locally wondering what Bill Armstrong is going to do, what he'll be able to do at the trade deadline. You look at the guys on the expiring contracts, first of all, those are the most logical. And and in this climate, especially, um, we already know that Nick Chalmerson is not going to waive his no move. So he's not going anywhere. So you look at guys like Alex Goligoski, Jason Demers, you would have looked at Antti Ranta, but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. He may not play again this season the way we're going right now. So you're even limited in that regard right now. Just curious what both of you guys think right now in, in terms of a game plan for the Coyotes and, and how realistic it is to execute it. Well, I'm, go ahead, go ahead no, no, You I, take it first. I, cause I, I think it's tough. I think, you know, Bill has prided his career um, – through the amateur draft. It's what he, he came here to do. I mean, he's, he's done it in St. Louis. He's drafted well. He's known as a, a good amateur draft guy. That's his specialty. He doesn't have any draft picks um, by no fault of his own. So would I be surprised if he moved some pieces to improve his, uh, his draft position or get more draft picks? I think he would. But I also think, you know, he, he's, he's in the sports world. You want to win. They're four points out. You know, the tools and the, and the pieces of the puzzle you can get out to get the biggest return are also the pieces of the puzzle that are going to help you win. So he's, he, he's going to hold tight, I think, for, for as long as he possibly can to see if there's still a chance to make the playoffs. Yeah, I think, I mean, that, that pretty much describes the conundrum he's in. They're four points out of a playoff spot behind a St. Louis team that they've had success against in the past. Coming into this season, I thought the Coyotes would be right there, essentially where they are. But the problem is the reason I thought they were going to be there was because of goaltending. And now going forward, it's not a knock on Aiden Hill. He's been really solid stepping in, but he was supposed to be your number three goalie. And then Ivan Prosvetov, I mean, they got they got back-to-backs coming up this weekend. They have quite a few back-to-backs coming up in the next three or four weeks. So they're not going to be able to just play Aiden Hill until Darcy Kemper comes back. So now you have to weigh that in there, too. So I guess that sort of goes to your point, PD, of if you're a team like the Coyotes, you do kind of want to take it right up until April 10th, April 11th, before you're really going to commit to any deals. Having said that, let's look long-term, which is what I think Bill Armstrong has to do. I think what this organization wants to do. And again, Bill Armstrong's not wed to this roster. He didn't draft these guys. So it's not, there's not a loyalty thing or any attachment whatsoever. When you look down the road with this Coyotes roster, Realistically, this is nothing more than a team that squeaks into the playoffs. They need they need better players. I don't think they have a single top line forward on this roster. So, in that light, don't you have to still make whatever deals you can at the trade de- deadline if you're Bill Armstrong? And does that even include? You know, you've seen the, the talks recently. Does it even include considering moves for guys like Connor Garland? And, well, that's what I said before. If, if, if you want to get a return, 
you need to trade your better pieces. Mm-hmm. And Connor Garland is probably, you know, the, the Arizona Coyotes MVP of the season right now. So he, he can bring you the most return. We all thought it'd be Darcy Kemper. Um, and you know what? If Darcy comes back, maybe he does return to that all-star form and he is the biggest piece of the puzzle. But up to this point, it's been Connor Garland. He's a guy that's got arbitration rights uh, coming up this summer. What are they going to have to pay Connor Garland to stay here? You know, Connor Garland can look around the locker room and go, hey, I'm even with points with with uh, Clayton Keller and he makes, he makes seven plus million dollars, yeah. you know, so why can't I make seven plus? Well, the Coyotes can't pay Connor Garland $7 million right now. Um, so, you know, is that a piece they can move? I think he can help teams in the short term. I think Connor can help teams in the long term. He's 25. You know, he, he, he works hard. He's going to get He's going to be a 20 goal scorer in this league. Um, would I be surprised if they moved Connor Garland? <sighs> I think they're going to try and sign him. I, I don't think they're going to pay him seven million bucks. I think they try to sign him. You can play hardball with him. I mean, you can because he's an RFA for the next two seasons. You can you can keep him until he's twenty seven years old on a smaller contract. If I mean, he may walk at the end of that, you know, and being angry, and that's that's the reality of the situation. But that may be what they have to do. That's sort of the characteristic of this ownership group, anyway. So that may be what they end up doing in the end here. Um, the other thing that I think about in all of this. There are financial considerations for what product you are putting on the ice next season. And even in the playoffs, you have the chance at playoff revenue this year. You have, you need to sell tickets next year. We know they've lost a lot of money. So you have to think about that as well when you think about which pieces you're moving out the door. How are you bringing fans into the arena if Connor Garland's gone next year? Yeah, I mean, he is, he's definitely a fan favorite. He's been a fan favorite since before he ever got to the Coyotes. I mean, people loved him in Tucson. They loved him when they picked him. Like we would get questions about Connor Garland two years before he was ever actually made the team because people were excited to see him. And now you're right, P. I mean, he's, he's certainly been their offensive MVP this season. If you look at the Coyotes and say, okay, what's holding them back? It's offense. So it would, it feels counterproductive to trade that guy away. Now I hear what you're saying though, as a new GM, Bill Armstrong is, he's built what he has, like he's gotten himself to this point because he is so good at drafting and developing players. So I'm sure he wants to put his fingerprints on this team and he didn't really get to do it last draft. So he's got to do it going forward. I'm just hesitant to trade guys for even a first round pick. If that pick is the 30th pick in the draft, because the teams that are picking in the top 10 aren't trading for your players. It's only the cup contenders. That's where it gets tough. Pete and I have talked about this already. I think NHL GMs overvalue draft picks dramatically. When you look at the percentages beyond top 10, top 15 picks of guys who, who actually even make it to the NHL or make an impact in the NHL, it's small. I think they overvalue draft picks. So I, I agree. And when you talk about that, you, you get past those, those first 15 picks. And I, I, again, Craig, I tried to do my homework for the show because that's the kind of guy I am. Those first 15 picks, they're going to play. They're going to get every opportunity to play. They're going to get preferential treatment from the organization. Those guys are going to play. When you get past the first 15, they have a 75% chance of playing. Get in the second round, now it's 65. By the third round, you're talking a 25% chance of that guy playing in the league. Not becoming a star, not an everyday player, playing. So Connor Garland's 25. You trade him for a second-round pick that might play a 35 40% chance of playing four years from now. Man, that's a risky investment for me. When I know four years from now, Connor Garland's still Connor Garland. He's 29, 
but he's still an effective offensive player. So unless the deal is a prospect, a guy that can play right now in a different role um, and a draft pick, I don't think he can make the move. I think there has to be a multiple uh, player deal to get Connor Garland to move out of here. I agree with that. I'd be much more, I don't want to trade him in general, just period. But if, if they had to do it, I would be much more comfortable if they got prospects back that have, you know, they're been drafted two years ago and Bill Armstrong and the Coyotes have been able to look at them beyond just junior hockey or whatever. Cause you're hoping these guys become Connor Garland. So right. it's like, you know, I'm trading you Connor Garland. yeah. Um, if you look at the Coyotes big picture, the only players that are on like the big league roster right now that are signed past next season are Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz, Christian Dvorak, Oliver Ekman Larson, and Jacob Chikrin. So pretty clear that that is their core. If you go past next season, anybody in that group untouchable or is everybody kind of, I mean, I, I wouldn't trade Chikrin for anything. This He's the only one for me. Yeah. He's the only one that's untouchable. Well, it, there's a different category here, Luke. There's, Untouchable and unmovable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and okay. untouchable right now, uh, Jacob Chikrin has taken his game to a new level this year. Everybody okay. has seen it. Um, offensively, Jacob Chikrin is among the elite defensemen in the National Hockey League. I think there's still some room for his defensive game to grow. His read of the rush could improve. Um, there's still some, some leaps and bounds he can take that way. Um, but he is, he is, improved so much from just a year ago that now if you would have said this to me last summer hey he's not untouchable but now you have to keep jacob chikrin um unmovable yeah there's some unmovable contracts here i think that creates the biggest conundrum for bill armstrong um he tried to to move uh all of reckman larson last year in the summertime couldn't get enough in return i don't think for what he he wanted Yeah, you're limited by partners, and Oliver can do the same thing again this year. You know, I know I've got no trade, no move. I I don't want to go anywhere. That could happen again if Oliver were to leave. And by no means am I saying he is. If he were, I don't think that's a trade deadline deal. I think that's a summertime deal. Mm -hmm. I think that's find the best deal that benefits Oliver because he has the ability to make that, you know, decision. And also benefits the Coyotes. I, I don't think that's going to happen in the next three weeks. The other contract I look at there is is the Clayton Keller contract, which causes them problems for the Connor Garland contract. Um, you know, because Connor can look look right beside him and say, "Hey, he's making over seven million bucks, and I'm putting up the same kind of numbers." So that causes problems internally and externally. People, if you're going to pay somebody seven million dollars, you're looking for some return on your investment. I think that's a tough contract for this team right now. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, Nick Schmaltz it might be a tough one to move as well. It might have to be, you know, one of those part of a bigger package. Um, Clayton Keller, I guess, could be that as well. I've, I've seen his name floated out there, but I don't believe that's an easy one to move. The the, the guy that I look at, like uh, uh, Christian Dvorak has gone stone cold in terms of production, but I still think in the right role and on that contract, I think that's a good contract. If they just had the, the way to slot him in where he belongs – I think Christian Dvorak is a good contract. Yeah, you've seen what he could do this year offensively, but, but Christian Dvorak's bigger than that. I mean, his, his shootout numbers this year are exceptional and we've all seen that. And you know, we talked about how unstoppable that shot is, but he's really turned himself into a 200 foot player. Um, you know, with the faceoffs, you can play in any situation. He's a guy with that contract. He's desired around the league, certainly. Absolutely. He's the guy that can fit in on most teams and in the right spot. 
and most teams would be glad to have him. I know his name has come up with teams for years. Um, I don't think they would want to move that contract. I don't, I won't call him untouchable, but that's not a guy they're trying to move. I mean, he, he's a guy that literally does it all, keeps his mouth shut, does it the right way and plays the way the coaching staff wants him to play. Not quite untouchable, but I don't think they want him to go anywhere. And, and, you know, we're talking about the core guys here. I mean, you start to look at some of the other guys on this team. A lot of them are unrestricted at the end of this season. So it's a tough question to answer because, again, this is such a different season and the Coyotes are right there with St. Louis. But, I mean, do we expect to see a lot of these unrestricted guys move if other teams come calling? I, I think, honestly, Luke, from the guys that are out there and available, I I think the most desire, desirable of the UFAs is going to be um, Goligoski. I think he's a guy that, that he can slot in. He can play offensive. He can play defensive. He's experienced. He's been in big, big playoff games before. Um, I think he's the most likely to move of those players. I'm not saying that the Demers won't move, but he's been in and out of the lineup. Um, he, you know, he's a right-hander, so that maybe makes him more attractive. The other one to look at is Jordan Osterley, and he's a guy that I, I think the team has to sign. I think they can get him at a, at a price that they're both happy with. I would be surprised if they let him walk. But he's another guy that teams are going to look at and go, you know what, he's got offensive upside and he can defend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think he's going to – I don't think he's 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 a guy that will be up and available. I think the Coyotes will get him signed. Um, I want to ask this. You guys can keep going with listener questions after if you want, but um, I at least want to do – looking at the playoff situation, what the Coyotes have left, what the Blues have left. I think coming into the season, most people thought, okay, Colorado's in, Vegas is in, St. Louis is in. It's going to come down to the Coyotes or the Wild. Now we look at it, it's probably going to come down to the Coyotes, Kings, or Blues, realistically, because Minnesota has improved so much. Colorado and Vegas are on a different level. So what do you think of those teams that the Coyotes are directly competing with for that last playoff spot? Well, I'm with Steve. I mean, I look at the Blues, and I think they're in trouble, especially because they got a steady diet of Vegas, Minnesota, and Colorado coming up. Their schedule is the hardest in the West by far, if you if you take a look at the uh, the uh, models out there. Uh, the Kings, I mean, they've gotten a, a really good boost from their veteran players. They're playing very well. I'm not sure how that portends for their future. A lot of people are saying, well, they've accelerated the process. Not really. They're riding the, the players that did it for them before, and they're not going to be around in a couple of years. But right now, when I look at all things considered with the schedule, I would favor the Kings too. But I think the Coyotes are right there. They don't have a tough schedule after they get out of this month. And they're, they're basically out of this month now, so they have a chance. And that's what we talked about earlier. And, and as a fan, you go, oh, well, we're out of the playoffs today. You know, realistically, San Jose comes in here and gets two wins. The Coyotes are now in seventh. But they get those two wins, they could be in fourth. I think St. Louis is, is the one I had penciled in as a top three team going in. They're in trouble. And Craig's right. L.A., is better than people expected because their experienced veteran players are having a better season. They just are. And, and they're playing the way they had two and three years ago. Is this an aberration? Probably. Do I expect them to be a playoff team next year? Probably not. Um, they've had solid goaltending from both of their goalies. Um, it's a good team. It's a better team than people expected. Having said that, the Coyotes play them head-to-head five more times. That's 10 points. That's huge. So we, just prior to the trade deadline, they play the Kings twice, April 5th and April 7th in L.A. 
that could be what dictates the trade deadline. That could dictate their playoff future. Um, I think that's the series as a, as a Coyote fan that I'm circling on the calendar today and, and knowing those two games and two of the last four games are against the Kings and they're at home in Gila River. So realistically, you look at the goal differential of a minus 18 for the Coyotes and go, oof, that's hard to overcome. You beat the Kings five times. If I'm a coach, I'm saying we beat them five times. We're in. So uh, there's still hope there for Coyote fans. Um, this, this is a long way from over. Go ahead, Luke. Let's do those, uh, a few of those, uh, listener questions and we'll get you out of here. I got to say too, just the idea of the Coyotes and Kings basically playing for a playoff spot is, uh, is very, very enticing to <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. It brings That's back memories of 2012. That's why I went division rivalry. Exactly. I yeah. I, I love it too, over. Craig. 2012, bring it back. Yeah. We're still talking yeah. about Dustin Brown. Can't believe it. I don't want the Coyotes in the Central. Anyway, let's get to some listener questions before you jump out of here, Luke. Go ahead. Um, let's see. Well, I'll start with Alden because it's the first one that came up. For the rest of your life, you can only listen to music from one decade. Which decade do you choose? That's a brutal question. Oh, my God. Seriously? Tough, man. Yeah. I will say this. I, I'll, I'll take this one first, Craig. This is tough because I'm older than both of you. So I went to high school in the 80s, college in the 90s. My wife and I on Saturday night, still in this COVID reality, we had a 90s dance party. Nice. Saturday night in our house. And we, you know, battled back and forth with Alexa playing song after song from the nineties dance era. I, I think I'm going to have to go eighties, but we sure as heck enjoyed the nineties dance party. I don't think I could go without nineties music because for some reason that is like, I feel like music. Ah, that's tough, man. I love music. I don't think I could really give up any of these because really you could go back to well before I was born in like 70s. The music then was maybe better than it's ever been. Rock bands. I mean, you're talking about like getting rid of the British invasion bands then if you dump the 70s, which is just crazy to me, or the 60s even, right? With the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, the Rolling Stones. Those would be tough bands. And the Who. Those would be tough bands to give up too. Man, this is a brutal question. By the way, Luke, if this is the way this show goes, I clearly need to expand my research prior to coming on air. (laughs) I did not know. Live and learn. Or, or you can do what we do, and, and you just give up on research entirely and just realize <laughs> there's, there's, it can't help you on this show. Um, here, I, I, you know what? I'll just I'll keep going right off the, uh, off the rails. Tyler, for the mystery host, which is you, Petey, catch up on hot dogs and also favorite arena to visit or watch games in. Well, catch up for sure. And by the way, no. since we're talking about catch up, I just talked to somebody today on the Edmonton Oilers and not Dave Tippett, but they were in Montreal and they got their games canceled for COVID. So you don't get the Montreal hot dogs. Craig knows the Chancho. The Bell hot dogs are amazing. Unbelievable hot dogs. Chancho. Ketchup, I know, buddy. No. Oh, I, sorry. And the best arena, <laughs> it's so, I tell you what, if you're a hockey fan and you get an opportunity to watch a game in Las Vegas, do it. It is a show. It's an, it's an event. They do it like no other team in the league. If you're an old school hockey fan, it's got to be Montreal and Toronto. It's just the, the reverence of the game is, is handled so much differently in those cities. Um, but for a pure entertainment value of your ticket, catch a game in Vegas. Vegas and Montreal are my picks too. <laughs> wow. Montreal just because of the hot dogs. Yeah. Um, Montreal is an amazing, it's an amazing atmosphere as well. It is. Yeah. Uh, I can only do one more of these questions, so I apologize and I blame Craig. Let's uh, let's go with A. Smith and uh, NBA Top Shots all the rage. Which Coyotes or NHL highlight would you want as your Top Shot moment? <laughs> so that can be all time. 
I, 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 I literally go ahead. I have no idea how to answer that question. I, I think the one, I, I mean, I, I think if you had a moment that would be especially valuable to Coyotes fans, the one that, that always stands out to me, there's others popping to mind, but, but Shane Doan finally getting his hat trick with half of a second left on that feed uh, when Ray Whitney made him stay on the ice and they just kept making him stay out there against the Islanders until he finally scored. That, uh, that would certainly be up there on that list for me. I've got one. I've got one because I always love watching it because it's the Chris Colano's penalty shot on Patrick Waugh because I just love Patrick Waugh just losing it after that goal, just going, going Patrick Waugh. Yeah, and, yeah. and you, you you go to those coyote moments, and, and there's so many. It's hard for me to, you know, the Brian Boucher shutout streak and that second that clock wound down. You were you was a, It was a miserable season that we were going through so many bad things. And to have something so good happen to someone who is so good, such a good person. Uh, but I have to go back to finally beating Chicago in the 2012 playoffs and getting through that first round. I've been a part of this team for over, you know, 20 years and never getting by the first round with teams that should have been by the first round. The Kachuk, Roanick, Tockett years, those are great hockey teams. And to not make it past the first round was, was so sad. We, the sense of relief in that room when they beat Chicago in Chicago to me. And I know it's not one top shot memory and I don't remember the goal. You know, I know Kyle Chipshura got a goal late um, to ice it, but, but that moment as a coyote fan and employee, that moment you finally got over the hump um, was probably the best moment for me as a coyote employee. Yeah, I'm, that you know that was the other one I was thinking that that's no cheering in the press box. Thank you, Mike Smith. By the way, at that point, yeah, Mike Smith, and and for the moments beyond that against Nashville too. All right, guys, I'm gonna wrap it up here. Um, Petey, thanks for joining us, man. This was awesome. You're you're welcome back anytime. Had a great time, guys. Thanks. This is well, fun. We're gonna be here every time, and and we'll actually go longer at some point. You know, I I think Luke is cutting this off because he doesn't like me, or it's because he has seventeen other stuff. <laughs> you know, you know what it is? It's because he knows my first time, and I'm out of material. Like that's all I got. <laughs> By the way, I've I've heard I need to be funnier, Craig. I'll work on it. I'll work on it for next time. The comedy <laughs> element's missing. I heard. Oh, I'll work wow. on it. That's quick reviews as live as we're doing the podcast. I know. All right. Uh, for Craig Morgan, for Steve Peters, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.